Today is Thursday, May 20th, 2021. On this day in 1983, the anti-apartheid militant group Mkuntoa Sizwe detonated a car bomb in South Africa's capital, Pretoria. The blast killed 21 and injured 219 more. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a Spotify original from Parcast. Due to the graphic nature of the Pretoria car bombing, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes depictions and discussions of murder and violence that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. Today we're covering the day Mkuntoa Sizwe launched its deadliest attack in the war against apartheid. Let's go back to Pretoria on May 20th, 1983. When the Mkunto Asizwe operatives planted a bomb on Church Street in one of South Africa's capital cities during rush hour, they knew innocent men, women, and children were going to die. But this was the fight against apartheid. There were no innocents anymore. Since South African apartheid began in 1948, the ruling National Party invoked white minority power, passing legislature to remove black citizens' rights. But while white supremacy gripped the nation, good men and women fought back. University-educated and the son of royalty, Nelson Mandela was a senior leader in the African National Congress political party. Mandela and the ANC campaigned to place democratic power in the hands of all Africans, regardless of race. Mandela and his peers pushed for change through passive resistance and civil disobedience. Even as the National Party roadblocked most nonviolent resistance, Mandela believed liberation should be won through peace. But the 1960s Sharpeville massacre changed everything. On March 21st of that year, 7,000 unarmed demonstrators marched through the Sharpeville Township outside of Johannesburg. They gathered to protest the pass laws, which were used to monitor and control black African travel within the country. As the crowd marched on the Sharpeville police station, their intensity agitated rookie cops. The police turned their guns on the crowd and began firing. Men, women, and children went down in a hail of gunfire. At least 180 were wounded and 69 were killed. Many of them shot in the back as they fled in terror. The massacre shocked the continent. The ANC started thinking that nonviolent protests weren't enough to change their situation. If they wanted to break from their oppressors, the black population had to arm themselves. Although he knew nothing about armed combat, Nelson Mandela formed the ANC's army in 1961. The Mkunto which meant Spear of the Nation. The spear was a symbol of black resistance against white oppression for centuries. Mandela's goal for the Mkunto Asizwe, or MK, was to force the government into negotiations with the ANC. 
the MK launched their first sabotage operation in December of 1961, targeting military infrastructures and symbols of apartheid. But the government struck back, arresting Mandela in August 1962. Charged with sabotage, treason, and violent conspiracy, the senior ANC leader was sentenced to live out his life in a fortified prison on Robben Island. By the early 80s, the MK suffered other stunning losses. The National Party launched unprovoked attacks on ANC bases and even assassinated 57-year-old activist Ruth First on August 17, 1982, with a letter bomb. This was the tipping point for the ANC and MK. They were still an amateurish guerrilla group, learning military tactics and bomb-making from their local library branch. Facing their own extinction, the MK needed to take the gloves off. At four in the afternoon of May 20th, 1983, Freddy Shangwe and Ezekiel Maseko of the MK parked their stolen blue Alfa Romeo car on Church Street in Pretoria. 50 kilograms of homemade explosives were packed into the vehicle. They were to time the detonation at 4.30 when the members of the South African Air Force would be led out of work at their headquarters in the Nedbank Square building. The operatives had plenty of time to get clear of the explosion. As the minutes dragged by, Freddy and Ezekiel grew nervous. Air Force members weren't the only ones getting out of work at 4 p.m. on a Friday. Civilians were streaming down the sidewalks. They were men, women, and children, white and black. But they had their orders. In the escalating fight for liberation, they were told not to let the lives of a few civilians hold them back. The fate of South Africa hung in the balance. Then, at 4.20, something went terribly wrong. The bomb detonated. Freddy and Ezekiel were the first to die, vaporized in the blast before they could get out of the car. Flying debris and glass shards struck people on the street. People were on fire while others wandered in shock. A massive billowing tower of smoke rose from the carnage. Not including the bombers, 19 people died in the blast, 17 men, two women. Most of the dead were civilians. Despite the senseless death and terror, the MK made their statement. There was no going back to the way things were. Up next, South Africa plunges into civil violence. Wayne Simmons spent 27 years undercover for the CIA. When he retired from spy work, he got a big break. Terrorism analyst on Fox News. Then he met Kent Clisby. So I'm a real CIA guy. This is total nonsense. I'm Alex French, and I'm here to figure out who's telling the truth. Was Wayne Simmons a spy, or was he nothing but a con man? Imposters is a Spotify original from Parcast. Follow and listen exclusively on Spotify. Now back to the story. On May 20th, 1983, a car bomb went off in Pretoria during rush hour, killing South African Air Force personnel and civilians alike. The anti-apartheid political party ANC claimed responsibility days later, 
operating through their militant wing, the Mkunto Asizwe, or MK. This was the single bloodiest day in South Africa's fight for liberation, and the deadliest attack launched by the MK. This signaled a shift from sabotage to all-out war. The blast echoed around the world, drawing negative criticism from the United States and other Western powers. The U.S. called the ANC a terrorist organization, and its deposed leader, Nelson Mandela, a terrorist. The South African Air Force retaliated on May 23rd, three days after the bombing. They launched missiles at ANC headquarters in Mozambique's capital, Maputo. Six were killed, including two children. Although he had no communication with the MK from his prison cell, Nelson Mandela felt a profound horror over the car bomb. His Spear of the Nation were no longer just killing soldiers, but targeting civilians. He knew, though, that the MK and the ANC had spent decades fighting a bloodless war. They tried civil disobedience and unarmed protests, and at every road, the National Party trampled them. Mandela believed the bloodshed was an unavoidable evil in the road to freedom. He only hoped that there would be a South Africa left to govern in the end, because things were going to get worse before they got better. At the Cobway Conference on June 16th of 1985, ANC leaders gave MK operatives free range on hard and soft targets, so long as they pursued liberation from apartheid. Hard targets were infrastructure and key figures in the National Party's defense. Soft targets were civilians. 44 bomb attacks were launched in 1984 alone. The next year, 136 bombings were recorded. On December 23, 1985, an MK soldier detonated a bomb among Christmas shoppers at a restaurant in Amanzimtoti. On June 14, 1986, another bombed Magoo's Bar in Durban, killing three. Throughout the 80s, the MK kept up a steady barrage of attacks against hard and soft targets, eventually wearing down the National Party's resolve. By the end of the decade, the government began to buckle under the ANC and MK's pressure. More and more political prisoners were being released in exchanges, and in February of 1990, the National Party released 71-year-old Nelson Mandela after 27 years behind bars. While incarcerated, Mandela grew from a senior leader in the ANC to a near-mythic symbol of black resistance. The people were excited to see this giant among men in the flesh as he toured the country and MK camps. In August 1990, Mandela and the top ANC officials suspended the MK's operations. After half a century of oppression, the apartheid was being dismantled. The fight seemed to be over, but there was still work to do. In 1994, Mandela won in a landslide victory in the nation's first democratic elections, becoming South Africa's first black head of state. But he inherited a country that was still bitterly divided by race and decades of bloodshed. 
To alleviate some of the pressure, Mandela established the Truth and Reconciliation Commission to investigate war crimes committed by both the ANC and the National Party. The commission revealed in 1997 and 1998 that while the bombers themselves died in the May 20, 1983 blast, Special Operations Unit Commander Abu Bakr Ismail orchestrated the 1983 bombing. Ismail claimed he wasn't targeting civilians, despite timing the attack during rush hour. Regardless of this dubious response, the commission granted him amnesty for the crime. Although the Truth and Reconciliation Commission proved controversial, Mandela brought his troubled nation together through better education, welfare, and housing. By his retirement from politics in 1999, Mandela had earned his nickname, the Father of the Nation. Thanks for listening to Today in True Crime. I'm Vanessa Richardson. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in True Crime. Today in True Crime is a Spotify original from ParCast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Russell Nash, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Bruce Kitovich. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Daniel William Gonzalez, with writing assistance by Alex Benedon, and fact-checking by Cheyenne Lopez. I'm Vanessa Richardson. 